really exciting seeing what God is doing, the adventure we're having up there. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Joe was playing electric guitar again. I didn't. It was kind of weird, you know, because you see your son. You know, it's like he, Joe plays drums, and I know he can play a guitar, as in he pick it up and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But there he is playing electric guitar in the band, and um, Gabby was actually playing playing bass. It was actually quite funny because. Um, Gabby had texted me on, on Saturday saying, I've been asked to play bass, can we get there for 9.30 in the morning? Now, I normally get there for 10.30, I leave at 8 in the morning, get there for 10.30, two and a half hours, it's a pretty easy drive. And uh, so in my head I went, yeah sure, if we would leave, if I normally leave at 8 to get there for 10.30, so we'll leave at 7.30. And my maths was not a strong subject for me. And I never actually worked that out until I was sort of near Culloden, which is almost outside Inverness, when I realised that it's now 9.30 and I'm not in Inverness. <laughs> and the back of my mind's going, Something, something's wrong, I'm trying to work this out, what did I do, how does this work? And then suddenly I realised, yeah, I should have been an hour early, so we should have left at... at uh, Seven o'clock, <laughs> not, not half seven. But we were only about, actually, about 10, 12 minutes late uh, and uh, ready for the practice. Um, they were already practicing. Gabby just walked straight, straight in. She'd never been to Inverness, never been in the Inverness church. She walks straight into the building, straight up to the base, picks it up and starts playing. <laughs> and everybody, yeah, go on you, Gabby. And, uh, and then some people came and said, who are you? Can you please leave? And uh, <laughs> so it's so, so good. And uh, um, Owen and Kate send their love. They're just thoroughly enjoying this a new season for them in the church up there. Wonderful. Well, this, uh, this evening, um, I want to start by reading a scripture. I normally start by, by telling a story, don't I? But um, we're going to break the rules this time. And, and uh, so I made the rules. I break the rules. So. Uh, we're going to start from reading 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 23. I want to preach about winning. Turn to someone and say winning. winning. Yeah, you didn't believe it, did you? And uh, so 1 Corinthians 9, 23 says this. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now I have to start this by saying I have a confession. I hate running. This is not a good metaphor sort of story. Everyone who runs in the race, it's like if if going, if the kingdom of God, uh, if running is a metaphor for the kingdom of God, then I'm going to hell. And uh, it's kind of that, you know, it's, it's that serious and uh, I, I try running every so often. I try, and I admire everyone that does run. I'm actually more amazed that they, like, they just run and they go for a hundred meters and they don't have to stop. And 
And I kind of find like I run a hundred meters and I think, okay, I'll stop now because if I carry on, I will like have a heart attack. Um, I'm going to burst a blood vessel. My eyes are going to bleed. And uh, generally that kind of thing. And uh, see, running is not something that I like to do. And so um, I think it's a, it's a crazy pastime. It, it, people, people die running all the time, don't they? They do. You have a marathon. It's a marathon so-and-so died. Now, if that was like... And the only reason why people carry, keep having... Mar- because the obsession for running is greater than, the, than the, the, the people sort of losing life. That was a, a race, right? If it was like a Formula One and somebody died every Formula One, they wouldn't let you race anymore, would they? <laughs> but running is different because running is cool. And, uh, and so people, but it, I think it's just a dangerous pastime. And uh, so I'm kind of, I struggle with this whole thing. But this, the kingdom of God, this whole principle, this is not about running. It's not about how you're, um, how, what you're doing. It's about winning. This is simply about winning. And, and winning is a very complex we have a very complex relationship with winning because we, we either fall into, we kind of fall into one of two categories. Um, we might sort of fall somewhere between the two, but if you're someone who feels like a loser, you're not used to winning. But when as I was a kid um, at school, I, came, I always came last uh, in the, the, the cross-country running particularly. Um, and uh, I could... Um, I could survive, a, like an 800 metres was, was the only race that I, I wasn't, I wasn't fast, I couldn't do. But 800 metres I could survive and, and still be there with my friends. But anything further than that, and, you know, I was at the back of the pack. And there was like, there was me and the fat kids. And, uh, and so, you're not allowed to say that, are you? And uh, so, but it's true, right? And so there I was, and, and I would be in the race, and I'd be sort of at the back of the pack, and, and, you get used to coming last. And the more used to getting la- more you get used to coming last, the more you get to dislike the attention given to winning. Because it reminds you what a loser you are. So you create a different kind of mindset. Winning is for them. Winning is for other people. It's for those and they have an advantage that isn't fair. This is an unjust world. Uh, it's not right that these people should be winners. Um, it was different when I was in the swimming pool because I was the fastest kid in, in, in the year. And uh, I, I put me in a swimming pool and I can swim. And the funny thing is, here I am in my 50th year and I'm still faster than people half my age and I only swim once a year. And I know that I can still fast because I, I learned to swim. I worked as a lifeguard and, and I've got it. But at that point, I didn't know I was fast because I didn't swim that much. <laughs> and so I hadn't discovered winning. I just, I just knew, I just realized losing was something that I had to define. If I'm going to be a loser, then I've got to do it well. And I, I made losing my winning. I gotta, I'm just like, if I'm going to lose, then I'm going to lose well. And I'm going to lose with pride. And, and make it a statement. Make it cool. 
and just not do it and just not bother at all. And so we would, in fact, there was one particular race that when we used to do the, um, we used to do the 3,000 metres, we had a kid who had asthma, he had terrible asthma, and they would, in those days, everyone had to run. Didn't matter your medical condition, you had to run. And this kid, we knew that if we pushed him hard enough, he would fall over and collapse and possibly need very serious medical attention. So at which point the race would stop. So it's the same, I mean, every time, 3,000 metres, we turned to this guy, his name was Clive, sorry Clive, but um, you're going to need medical attention in a few minutes. <laughs> and we would push him really hard and he'd be going, <laughs> and out he would go, and we'd go, yes! I would come out the PE teachers and we'd go, oh, can't run now, can we? And, and off we'd walk. And we, so we made losing a really amazing thing. It was like, as you can tell, I was a great kid at school, I, I had great attitudes. <laughs> but what happens is that, that when you speak about winning to someone who feels like a loser, it only reminds them of what a loser they really are. And so the kingdom of God, if you talk of the kingdom of God and principles of winning, we're winners. Well, if you don't feel like a winner, you find it very difficult to identify what winning feels like. And so you end up believing that in the kingdom of God, there are those who win and those who lose. Because you feel like you're a loser. You could be someone, the rare few, who were the winners. Because at the end of the day, as Paul says in the scripture, only one wins the prize, right? So there's a few kids who always win. And they were just like the... They just, like some people just win. They feel like they have to win. They're very competitive. And, they, and you, what you discover if you're not good at winning is that competition is not something you want to enter into. You don't want to be competitive. You find that you want to avoid any kind of competition and you want to negotiate yourself through life. But winners, people who can win, become just a little bit kind of like, like they just know they're winners. And because they know they're winners, they kind of carry themselves well as winners. But for the rest of us, well, yeah, gee, well done. And you, with a reality is we all want to be like them. We want to be like them, but we're annoyed with them too because they are them and we are us. We're divided by the fact that we're not winning. But the kingdom of God, Paul has said it here, run the race in such a way that you might win it. So life in the kingdom of God is about winning. But if it's about winning and we're struggling to win and we don't have this great sort of mindset, then we have to understand Paul must be talking about some different kind of race. It's not that it's about winning in a competitive world. It's, it's we're winning a race, but we're not competing. So if we're running and we're winning a race, but we're not competing, what is the race? And what kind of win do we get? It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who loved 
his appearing. Now, Paul clearly shows here that everybody who takes part in the race wins. And everybody wins because they fought the fight. In other words, the race, what is the race that we're running? What is, what is it that we are here to do? It's fight the fight, keep the faith, and finish the race. In other words, don't quit on your journey. We're out on an adventure. Let's not quit. Let's keep fighting for that which we believe in till the very end. Let's not give up on the values that we carry in our hearts. It's incredible how values get compromised along the way that we navigate and negotiate an easier path. As a child, I learned how to negotiate a way around doing things that I couldn't do, didn't want to do. And then I discovered if I can negotiate a way around some of the things, I can negotiate my way around all of the things. And that's why I discovered in my school years that it's actually easier not to do the work than it is to do it. It's easier to negotiate with a school teacher why you haven't done any of your homework. Because you can negotiate your way around it. It's, very, it's easier to lose rather than to win. It's easier to, to just because you, if you believe you're a loser, then you believe that you, you're gonna, I'm going to renegotiate. Well, this is what happens in the kingdom of God. If we feel like we can't fight the fight, then we start renegotiating in ourselves. We start renegotiating their values to making it fit our current circumstances. The challenges that lay ahead of us, we don't have the answers. But you know, God has called us to run the race, fight the fight, and keep the faith. In the world, they have this statement, and many of you know how much I hate this. This is a statement I hate. Be the best you can be. Isn't it the most... Isn't it just horrible, isn't it? It's so twee and utterly meaningless. It isn't. Be the best you can What does that even mean? What is the best you can be? Well, it's unmeasurable and undefinable. In other words, I'm just being the best I can be. I have a friend who's had a brother who worked in a children's home. Now, that's a serious job, right? Worked in a children's home. And he did the night shift every night. Now, here's the thing, right? Because he worked for the council, you can negotiate with the council what's what's being the best you can be is. And uh, he would turn up to work and he would take his guitar with him and he never once did any of the things that his boss had asked him to do as a list of things. And he would all night and he would just play his guitar and write songs. And then he would record the songs and he would send them to his sibling and he would send them to them and he would just write these songs and send, send his song and say, listen, and the sibling will go, listen, um, are you not meant to be working? Oh, I'm just being the best I can be. So how do, what does your boss think? Well, they can't argue with that. I just tell them if they complain that I'm not doing my job, I just say to them, I'm, I'm being the best I can be. And he used that as an argument and they accepted it for years. It took them years to realise that they were, he was pulling the wool over their eyes and eventually they fired him. But it took them years to work out, oh no, let's give him a break. He's just trying his best. <laughs> the world says be the best you can be, but being the best you can be doesn't mean anything. What the kingdom of God says is this. It says fight the fight, run the race, 
keep the faith. In other words, it's measurable. It's definable. The winning is about the fighting the values which you know to be true. Fighting the values. I was speaking to someone this morning. They came up to me and they said, they just said to me, look, I need you to know that I struggle with unbelief. I said, I believe in God. And, but every so often, my cynical mind, my calculating mind just goes, oh, I don't really believe that. How many of you know what that feels like? Oh, I don't think I believe that. That's the cynical mind. What is fighting the fight? Keeping the faith. It's going, my cynical mind is saying this, but I fight the fight because I know that faith isn't born out of cynicism. It's born out of a hunger for God to move. Knowing that He takes us on an adventure. And so I declared, I said, well, listen, we're going to stand together and agree that you're going to set your sights on a different set of values and that you're going to have these markers in your life. You're going to, when, every time you get a cynical thought, you're going to raise a red flag in your own mind and you're going to go, I live according to the values of the kingdom of God, not according to the values of this world. This world is cynical. This world undermines and devalues what is the Word of God. But the Word of God is spiritual and doesn't make sense according to natural circumstances. So if I measure it by natural circumstances, it doesn't add up. It's very easy to be cynical with the kingdom of God because it doesn't make sense. But we measure it according to what God has done for us. And so what happens is that we have to set these values that we run the race the running the races, fighting the faith, and keep um, fighting the fight and run, <laughs> fighting the race. It's, <laughs> run past me. it's fighting the fight. It's standing up for those things that you believe in. In other words, the race isn't competition with anyone else. It's dealing with everything that comes past your door. Life travels past you. You interact with everything that is going on around you. They are inter- you're interacting with them. And as they go past you, you make a decision on every time. And on every decision, you make a choice. Do I believe God or do I listen to the thoughts of my flesh? Do I listen to the things of the world? Do I agree with those things which contradict the Word of God? Or do I trust in Christ and know that He has a better way? And so that's the race. The race is hanging on and believing and fighting with great tenacity. But here's the thing. First off, we we understand that we come to this point when we've discovered what the race is. But as you read this scripture, you can see that Paul says, Therefore I I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. In other words, it's a race that we can win or lose. In other words, there's there's something that that will stop us from not winning. We're on an adventure here. What? Is it that stops you from not winning? In other words, there is a choice. 
You can quit the race before the end of the day, your end of days. Paul says, lest I become disqualified. He's not talking about losing his salvation, by the way. He's talking about losing the prize of the benefit of serving God all your days. He's talking about missing out on the benefits of serving God all his life. He's not talking about, oh yeah, yeah, you did all right till the very end and then you missed it, so I'm sorry you failed. (laughs) That's not the kingdom of God. When you give your life to Christ, you are eternally saved, amen? And what happens is that when you are saved, then you must live your life according to the race. We want to win the race. And Paul is saying it's possible to lose the race. Now, I want to show you something. Because this is, if you ever want to deal with what causes you to fail, how many of you know what failure feels like? Failure in itself, everyone has to learn the principle of failure. If you don't, then you will never deal with the attitudes and the heartache of life. If you never deal with it, we have a... um, the media have been talking about the, the, the generation that don't know how to cope with the world because they've been told they, they, that positive thinking, that everyone's a winner. And they're getting out to the big world world, having left university and discovered that nobody really likes them and they've got to compete with the rest of the world, that they're not actually amazing. <laughs> they've been told they're amazing, but they're not actually any more amazing than anyone else. They're, they're just people. And so... We have to understand what it means to fail. But here it says in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7, it says this, You ran well. You ran well. Who hindered you from from obeying the truth? So Paul is saying to the Galatian church, You entered the race. We were all running together. It was an awesome race. We were fighting the fight. We were fighting the good fight. We were running the race. We were keeping the faith. There we were together. And then suddenly, I'm running and where were you? What happened to you? Who hindered you? Here's the thing. This is what I want you to get. This is the most important point about winning that we must understand, right? Failure to run as a winner is never because of a what. It's because of a who. It's not a what. It's a who. Who hindered you? Not what hindered you, who hindered you. Now, every time we fail, we never say who, we say what. I was afraid. I wasn't able to. That's a what. But Paul says, who? Now, this is quite personal. We don't like this because suddenly, what do you mean? I can blame somebody else? No, you can't. But we can identify that everything we think and everything we feel and everything we believe and everything we experience is because of a who, even if that who is you. <laughs> I'm a poet. And uh, <laughs> it's never because of a what. Fear does not have power over you other than what you receive because from someone else. We learn to be afraid of spiders because our parents are afraid of spiders or someone was afraid of spiders. <laughs> are you afraid of spiders, Ruth? It's because of a who, Ruth. I want you to know Jesus has come to set you free right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> it's, it's a who, not a what. And put a child in front of a snake. They're not afraid of the snake. Parents are afraid of, ah, it's a snake. 
It's not the snake, it's the problem. It's the who that was afraid that trained the person to be. It's a who. Who hindered you? Well, sometimes it wasn't anybody else, it was you who made a decision and then we blame it on the, well, I, I failed because. I failed because I, I couldn't work it out. I failed because of this. No, that's the what. When I was in um, Denmark a few years back, there was this guy called Peter. Peter was a great guy. He was, a, he was one of these characters that was like a worship leader that loved God, very passionate for Jesus. He was also really, really blunt and would say things which would upset people. You know how some people in church are like really gifted and really rude. But everybody, the church just puts up with that, doesn't it? Because we love people and you kind of like, yeah, they're rude, but wow, they're so gifted. Makes it okay then. And so, and so you kind of you've got this tension. You've got this tension between the, the, uh, the, this sort of guy. But this guy, Peter, he was a fascinating character. He loved hunting and fishing and, and shooting. And, and, uh, and he lived in a barn, in the roof of a barn, with his wife and his children, which he converted into a house. It was, it was an amazing place. And I went with the pastor of, of the church uh, to go and see him. We'd been invited for a meal. And so we drive round there. And when I get round there, running loose is his guard dog, which was a very large male Rottweiler, going nuts. Now, when I saw the Rottweiler, <laughs> my pastor friend sitting next to me, who's the pastor of the church, didn't move, petrified of the dog. Now, I, in my mind, I'm fortunate enough to have grown up in the countryside and I've lived with animals and understand the psychology. And I'm looking at two things. I'm thinking about this. This is Peter's dog, which he has deliberately let loose because he enjoys watching people get afraid of his dog. He knew we were coming round. If the dog was going to kill us, he wouldn't have let it loose. I think. You never know. The guy's a bit kind of, you know. So, if the dog was going to kill us, it was... So I decided that... So I just got out the car, walked over to the dog, let the dog know I'm not afraid and I'm not a threat. So we made friends, dog stopped barking, sat down, and we just made dribble and slobber. And Peter comes out of the bar and he goes, I... I've never seen anyone do that. Everyone just stays in the car. It's like, this was his thing. It was like, I can, I can petrify people. I can, keep, I can make them afraid of the dog. You see, I wasn't afraid because I've dealt with vicious dogs before and I know that there's an entire psychology issue and all you've got to do is just let the dog know you're not afraid of the dog. Now, if dogs are prone to actually actually eating you, then you have to take more precautions than that. But I was pretty sure this dog wasn't going to eat me. And so it was just doing what it was trained to do, which is to make a lot of noise. And so I went over and I made fuss of the dog. And Peter's going, I don't get this. How come? And it's like, well, it's just a dog. And it's like, but here's the thing, right? The dog, people are afraid of the dog. They go, oh, I can't get out because of the dog. Dog's not the problem. Peter's the problem. It's the who, not the what. The dog is the what. Peter's the who. Who hindered you? Did the dog hinder you? It wasn't the dog. It was Peter. He owns the dog. 
And so we have to understand in our heart who hindered you, who stopped you from fulfilling the call of God upon your life. Listen to me. I, over these many years of ministry life, something I've noticed, people suffer incredible financial disaster. They just keep going with Jesus. They get sick. They just keep going with Jesus. I've seen people lose um, sight, lose limbs, lose all that. They just keep going with Jesus. People suffer all kinds of crises. They just keep going with Jesus. But then they have one five-minute interaction with someone who manages to get on the inside of them and suddenly they're gone. And you're like, how do you survive all these intense fires? Because it's never a what, it's always a who. Because the only thing that can get to you is a who, not a what. What's are not human. They don't have life of their own. Only what we make of them. When we fight the fight, we're fighting the fight of maintaining our faith in a world of imperfection and sinfulness. We're interacting with each other. We have the possibility. Now, sometimes the who is deliberate. Sometimes it is malicious. But 99.9% of the time, it is just the fact that we're human beings interacting with each other, saying things that we don't mean to say that causes the other person to perceive it differently and take hurt, take offense and leave God and walk away from the church. The world is, the church is finished. It's a terrible thing. God hates me. It's always a who and never a what. And we have to understand how to deal with this. Now, I want you to see this because this is what God has got for us. It says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. If you read all of Galatians chapter 5, which we don't have time for today, I want you to understand that Galatians 5 is all about how to run that race and how to win it and how to succeed. But the end of Galatians 5, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. So how do we win the who? Are we to, are we to point the finger and blame? No. The who is maybe ourselves, maybe our friends, neighbours, family, whoever they are, It is the interaction of life. How do we win in those circumstances? Well, God gives us the ingredients, the winning ingredients. These are the steroids that the world isn't allowed to use in the race. (laughs) These are the things (laughs) that give us the advantage of winning and achieving the things that God has got for us. It is called the fruit of the Spirit. And we speak about the fruit of the Spirit. It's about, oh, we just got to have. But fruit of the Spirit is a gift of grace that flows out of your life the moment you interact with a who. What is the point of using the, the fruit of the Spirit on something that is inanimate? Or something that is not human, has no value or understanding. The fruit is wasted. The fruit of the Spirit is for the interaction of others. Kindness in the face of thoughtlessness. Joy in the face of times of anguish. Peace in the place of turmoil. Long-suffering in the times of continual trial. Goodness. 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is what enables you to win. It's what gives us the advantage over every situation and circumstance. You know, many people, I've heard many messages on the, the fruit of the Spirit and it, 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 it always feels like it's something that's, oh, this is, this is who we should be. But I want you to understand that there is a turn of heart, a decision of the heart, that, that the fruit of the Spirit is the medicine of the Holy Ghost that is poured out on every person to deal with every situation that is causing you to be hindered. And if you turn your heart to the medicine of the Holy Ghost, He will give you what is required to deal with the now. Deal with the who. See, once you've dealt with the who, the what becomes irrelevant. It's no longer an issue in your life. Maybe people, somebody intimidated you. And from there on in, you've become easily intimidated. We are incredibly complex We can be winning in life in one area and losing in the next. Every occasion we are losing, it is because of a who, not because of a what. Let's stop blaming things and saying that's my problem. The problem is this. I need more of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is my answer to the who that conditioned my mind to thinking differently. It gives us grace because Paul says, who hindered you? The reality is this. It doesn't actually matter who because there's nothing you can do about it. Paul says that. He says, oh, I wish these people wouldn't. He talks about um, the uh, coppersmith. Uh, What was his name? Somebody, Alexander the coppersmith. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. I I reckon Alexander the coppersmith was a really nasty thing that really got to him to name him in the Bible. (laughs) We all know for eternity, Alexander the coppersmith was a nasty man. But as you read the scripture, you can tell that whatever he says after that, it is utterly irrelevant. There's nothing he could do about it. Sometimes we try and respond in the flesh according to the who, and we end up losing even more. You cannot defy the works of the flesh with the works of the flesh because you enter into the same ring and God's grace is not there for you. You will get mown down by that truck of godlessness. It will take you down. But we have this extraordinary grace called the fruit of the Spirit that supersedes, that defies the logic, that rises above, that confounds and confuses the work of the enemy, that changes the heart of the who that did us harm, that turns around the mind of ourselves 
when we decided on ourselves, made up our own mind, that we can't do something. I decided I couldn't run because I couldn't run. I can't run. I'll never be. Even if I ran every day, I might improve slightly. <laughs> but because I'm naturally, that's just not the way I'm, I'm made. But my mum and dad never said, you'll never run. PE teacher never said, Kevin, you're rubbish at running. No one ever said it to me. I said it to myself. I evaluated my circumstances. And so out of that circumstances, I created quite a large area of failure for myself because of one area where I wasn't very good. I just invented it in my own mind. But when the fruit of the Spirit rises up, you find that faithfulness, goodness, love, long-suffering, the rise of the Spirit that rises up in your heart in every circumstance. But you never allow the areas in where you lose in life to cause you to lose. You discover there is a greater grace. As we run on this race of adventure, we are going to be doing this adventure for the rest of our lives. We want to make sure that we have got the joy to run to the end. We will run out of steam. We will just fall over. As Paul says, do not weary while doing good. That's losing when you should be winning. Return again, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've given me this incredible healing balm, this ointment. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. When I want to be angry, you've given me kindness. Oh, Spirit of God, let me just show kindness right now. Let me give generosity and generously when I've been robbed. Let me forgive when I have been wronged. Let me be faithful and consistent. Let me be always there, reliable. It's a grace. Holy Spirit wants you to know how much that grace is available to you. It is not an action of your will. It is a gift of God that comes because of your will. You decide to turn your heart to God and He gifts you fruits. He gifts to you faithfulness. Father, I thank you that in this house is healing. I want to pray for every person here. First off, to those of you who who have felt like life's loser. You feel like others have won and you have lost. You've got to understand you're not in a competitive race. Your life is not being measured to anyone else. The only race you can lose is with yourself. 
because you didn't respond in grace, faith. But the grace of the Holy Spirit wants you to know you can choose. You can choose to respond with the heart of God and let His miracle power flow out of you. His miracle life. The healing balm. If you felt like a loser right now, I I want you to just open up your heart right now. I just break that in Jesus' name. I declare, I counsel every word spoken by a who that has been spoken over your life in the name of Jesus. I silence every curse, every unbelieving word. I silence it now in Jesus' name. And we reinforce the truth that God has ordained us to live in His blessing and His peace. Holy Spirit, right now. If you've struggled with the race, you thought you were winning, but you found that you were losing. Losing is not going through trials. Losing is turning your heart from God in the trial. Time to turn your heart again to God and He will take you through it. We all go through trials. We all have to go through trials. For every man and every woman, there are trials which we have to go through. But God's grace will carry you through and you will win. You will win. You will win. I thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your precious, precious anointing. I thank you, Lord, for your miracle power setting people free right now. Jesus' name. In this atmosphere of 